Hi, this is Sarah Evans, partner at J Public Relations. I'm here today in New York City with Stan Hartling, CEO of the Hartling Group and owner of the Sands, the Palms, and the Shore Club Hotels in Turks and Caicos. Stan arrived in Turks and Caicos from Canada in 1995 and has been a pioneer of developing the island ever since. Recently, his latest project, The Shore Club, which opened in 2017, was named number one hotel in the Caribbean by Travel and Leisure World's Best Awards. Today, we'll hear how Stan ended up in Turks and Caicos, how he's followed his gut, and what's helped him to make decisions along the way. Welcome, Stan. We are here with Stan Hartling, founder, CEO of The Hartling Group. And for those of you who aren't familiar with The Hartling Group, The Hartling Group owns The Sands, The Palms, and The Shore Club in Turks and Caicos. And Stan has really been a pioneer of developing Turks and Caicos, which in the late 80s, from what I hear, was barely developed and now is truly a global hotspot. And I have worked with Stan in different iterations over almost 10 years now, and I'm just so in awe of what Stan and Karen and his team have built and so grateful to be a part of it. And now he's sitting down and talking with us here today. So Stan, welcome. I'm so happy you're here with us. Awesome to be here. Nice to be here with good weather too. I think we brought that. It was a gift, a gift from Turks and Caicos. It's a beautiful Turks and Caicos-inspired day in New York City today, so we will take it. Stan, I mentioned that you are a pioneer in making Turks and Caicos what it is today. You were, you were one of the early ones. You're Canadian. Tell us how you ended up in Turks and Caicos, and did you always know that you wanted to create hotels when you got there? I think the thing is that I knew I wanted to create something that had to do with real estate, and I think I knew I had to do something that was uh, part of being a team. And uh, it's funny, whether it's sports or what we do for careers, I've always thrived on on the team side. I think maybe growing up as an only child, you really value when you have people around you. So it's something I've never taken for granted. And I knew that was goal number one, that I would always love enjoying things that wouldn't be singular and only involve myself, but things that I could share with other people. So that was number one. This just fit beautifully into it. I started as a, I mean, a lot of things. I've gone all over the board. I think I'm about as mixed brain, left brain, right brain as you can get. I've done everything from fine arts to (laughs) being a chartered accountant to playing in a band. And, you know, suddenly in like a Picasso format, all those things came together. And going into property development uh, really was a great conduit for being able to not only, you know, use the fundamentals of business, but how do you be creative with it? How do you team build with it? And how do you bring all that together? And I think it would have been a lot easier for me to do some strip malls in the U.S. and I probably would have made more money. But this is about as rewarding as it gets because it takes all of those components for me and puts them together and doing things that are really, truly outside the box. Turks and Caicos itself happened as a bit of a fluke. Uh, We in Canada were very obsessed back in the 90s with offshore tax planning, legal offshore tax planning. And so islands like Turks and Caicos that are tax-free jurisdictions became sort of new low-hanging fruit, if you will, for people out of interest to take a look at and came and, you know, was an island that was very successful at it, but was very expensive. It was probably outside of my investment realm at the time. 
And I literally just went down for an offshore tax planning seminar. I know that's about as boring as it sounds, but that's how it all started. I went down, responded to a little ad, you know, a quarter of an inch deep in a Toronto magazine and uh, went down to this seminar and truly fell in love with the place, not just because it was beautiful white sand and and the trees were swaying and, you know, the pina coladas were great. It really wasn't that. Uh, and I needed to go away after my first trip to make sure it wasn't that. But I've always been fortunate that, and I think most people that would be, you know, listening to this, hopefully you have a gut feel about something and sometimes you just never let that go. I got there and there was something about the place, something about the people, something about the fact that something magical could happen here and that there was a, a willingness. I'd gone to some other destinations in the Caribbean, but I never had one where I felt more welcome to do business and one where I felt like it's not going to be easy, but where a sense of fairness would probably prevail over at the end of the day. And that's what I played on. And I would go to bed at night and say, am I happier if I do this or happier if I don't do this? And that's normally my test. And I watch the meter on both of those. And sometimes I have to play it <laughs> several times, but unanimously, it was, you know what, I'm more excited if I take this on. Um, very much a plan B guy. So I had to know that if all else failed, <laughs> I could make an exit and, and not, you know, be left with nothing. But, you know, you had to do a lot of things, a lot of psychological things to get yourself comfortable with making such a big change. It wasn't like I could go down and point towards any one thing that was already doing what we were going to do. But, you know, most great ideas, that's what it is. You, you can't just wait for somebody to tell you it's a great idea. You have to, to take every little bit of experience that you've built up to date, no matter what that may be, and you use it for your next decision. And uh, that's how that all came about. So we made the quantum leap of of going to an island at the time that, you know, really was in its infancy. I mean, Turks and Caicos, by all accounts. What you know, year was it that you got there? That was 95, uh, which, you know, it doesn't seem all that long ago, but for some people it will. But, you know, it's amazing the change that transformed. And I think the other thing is, you know, I, I've come from small communities. And I think I love the idea of being able to have some true impact into a location. And that DNA shows in the team today because they're so involved in the community. And I love that. But I just felt like if even if I did what we did, you know, economically to the same proportions in Miami or some other big city, it just wouldn't have the significance. You know, we would all still be doing well. But to be able to do something and watch being part of a community, part of an economy, you know, part of, a, of an industry that you watched and incubated along with others, I don't want to act like Heartland Group by any means was the sole incubator of this thing, but we were certainly a, a key contributor. And I think, you know, I often wanted to put a guinea pig on our card as our logo because I think we were always the ones trying things for the first time. And then as, as it would work out, people would, would often follow our model. But I love that too, because as long as they're doing it great and they're great competition, then they're great for our industry. And we've got a lot of great competitors now in our industry that do a super job and all it does is bolster us all. And so we're proud of all those uh, people that are in our industry down there. What were you doing in Canada before you arrived in Turks and Caicos? Or when you arrived in Turks and Caicos, I should say. 
a quick replay. Job one was a dishwasher, and uh, job two was Tapajijo the clown at the Sunday brunch at a Holiday <laughs> Inn. So that was, you know, the big part of the career. But it, it, like, truly, there wasn't much that I wouldn't do at the time to learn. And, you know, one thing I, I like to say is just in terms of how you advance through some of these things. And for sometimes, you know, it's so easy to say, well, there's a reason why this person did this and another reason why that guy had the advantage for this. I got to tell you, I had no advantage to do any of this. I can remember plain as day having $900 in my bank account when ATMs were just coming out in vogue, and I was so excited to see that balance at $900 and, you know, started as a dishwasher, wanted to be a cook, and just offered myself up and said, you know what, I'll work for free to see if I can get in that position. Give me two weeks. And those are the kinds of little things in your life that you just realize it's not more about like one big lucky moment. It's about a consistent attitude of trying to climb a ladder a little bit by little bit and and doing it on, on wrongs that you trust. You know, you don't step on a ladder that you don't trust. And so you constantly look around your landscape for people that can prop you up. And if you're not doing that, if you're trying to get up a wall and you don't look for a good ladder, why are you surprised you're not getting over it? And so that's been a big thing for myself. You know, I, I did finish university with a BCom and, and did the CA program, but none of those things on their own. I mean, I know plenty of chartered accountants and they didn't end up doing what they might have dreamed of doing. And you're normally doing, as we all know, what's your second, third, or fourth best at because you just don't think that whatever you could do and want to do is something you should be doing. That's just too lucky. I mean, just something, wow, that shouldn't happen to me, you know, and it really should. And ironically, when you hold on to that, you you end up being really great at what you do and you don't even realize it because you're up, you know, your mind's up at five in the morning and it's already spun around for three hours by the time most people are getting up. And so if you have that kind of love of anything, I mean, it's, it's just amazing. And it, it applies to anything. It doesn't apply to just hotels or this or that or being an internet mogul or whatever. It truly applies to the most basic of things that someone may want to do. And, you know, you can't expect to have muscles and not go to the gym. You can't expect to be successful and not to have that sort of passion to do it. But if you do, the saddest thing I see is people that have the passion but are afraid because they think everybody else has some advantage. And they don't. They really don't. I, I can assure you I did not have an advantage over anybody. I just was so focused on getting to where we wanted to get. And the other thing I often say to people is – you know, someone will say, oh, I always wanted to be this. And I say, when's the last time you told somebody that? And they're like, well, I never really mentioned it because I, I don't, you know. Well, if you don't mention it, if you know, if I know you for five years and you're a doctor and you never tell me, I don't even think of you as a doctor. But if you tell me four years before you're even a doctor that you're going to be one, I already think you're a doctor, right? And so purveying yourself in the way that you want to be seen is something that is so basic in many ways and so valuable. But it's amazing how much we don't do that. And we think that people are going to try and dig down on their busy schedule and find out what you want to do. That's not going to happen. So, I mean, that's a big thing. When I went down there, I had done other property development when I was in Nova Scotia. But when I went down there, I was nothing else but. You could talk to me. And even though I hadn't done my first development yet, I was a resort developer. There was no – I wasn't having any other discussion. And I think you could have met me. And, and I wasn't saying it in a way that I was trying to deviate from people or, or make them think something that was wrong. In my mind, it was going to happen, mm -hmm. and, and it did. And so the big thing is is whether what you're saying is something you're willing to just be passionate about and follow through. 
So that's really how we got to the first breaking of the ice or the first resort because up until then in Canada, most of my property development had been non-resort based. It was things like apartments and subdivisions and things that we had done. But, you know, the transition to not only the Caribbean but taking on the role of building and developing and running hotels was a, a big change. But it's amazing, you know, you can only swim in the pool that you jump in, right? So you can't expect to constantly stand outside and go, I wonder why I'm not in there. It was just a big leap of faith. But it's amazing when you take that leap, how you figure out what you got to do. And that's what we did down there. And what made it even more compelling was we weren't doing a conventional hotel. We were doing condo hotels, which is a very different model again because in the Caribbean, financing for a conventional hotel is very hard. So we had to come up with a creative way to finance a hotel that didn't involve banks and typical lending institutions. And the condo hotel model was an unbelievably creative way to do that. But with that came so many different ways and things that you had to work out in the model. So it made it even a little more complex in a way than a typical hotel. But, you know, as always, persistence and you you keep on it. And, you know, now we, we are one of the top in our game. And to be fair, I get calls now, which I'm very proud of in terms of the whole team. We get calls from all over the world right now from people saying, how did you do this model so well? And the Turks is really seen as a prime example of how this model can work at a very high level. I mean, sometimes people think of a condo hotel as, oh, it must be more like an apartment with a lobby. I mean, if you see our hotels, as you know, they are, when you arrive at them, you you think you're at any high brand hotel. Are all three of your properties, the Sands, the Palms, and the Shore Club, based on this model? They are. And they're all variants of that from varying degrees from three and a half star to five star to five star plus. And, but the thing that we've always been loyal with. And it's funny, you know, this is again, one of these gut feel things to make this model successful. Where, where that model has had trouble is when people get focused as on a piece of real estate and sell it as real estate, but forget to build it and design it as a hotel. Because then they want it to be a hotel because they know that sounds like cachet and we're going to be a condo hotel. But are you really a hotel? Could you compare yourself to a very high-level hotel? We actually start the other way around. We design these properties as super high-end properties. And then we say, well, how can we now sell some of the real estate within this to help fund the development? And that has a profound impact on the long-term sustainability of the way this, this model can work. As an example, the, the short club, you know, we went as far as we have over 40,000 square feet of underground tunnels that run through that entire property so that you don't see maid carts moving through the property. You don't see food deliveries going to the property. You don't see any of these things moving along. And we even took that as far as running it underneath our individual villas. So you can actually drive to the underneath of a private villa with its subterranean butler room and drop things off from a golf cart. And and so those are the kinds of things that we think about operationally, which I think sets us apart from 98% of similar type condo developments, if you will, and um, and has made us so that, you know, as we're proud to say, you know, with the awards that we're, we're recently seeing from various uh, major magazines. So, And for anyone who's listening that isn't familiar with the Shore Club, the Shore Club opened in 2017, was on the cover of Travel and Leisure when it opened, and Stan is here with us in New York because the Shore Club was just named the number one resort in the Caribbean by Travel and Leisure in their World's Best Reader Survey. So very 
huge in the hotel world that we all live in. And um, one of the reasons that we're all inspired by you, Stan, and your team and what you've created, because it's always so amazing to me being on the inside of these developments and trying to understand how you really make it all happen. And because as a guest of one of these properties, you're only seeing the end result, which are cabanas and butlers and beautiful pools and beaches. And and the rooms are so stunning at the Shore Club, but understanding the behind the scenes and what it takes to get there. So when you arrived on Turks and Caicos, this is 1995, and you opened the Sands, your first property in 1998, what was on Turks and Caicos at the time? At that time, there was probably three what I would call, you know, hotel properties, if you can believe that, on the entire of Grace Bay Beach, of which probably two that I can think of, two were in receivership. And so it was a very interesting moment going to look at sites where there'd be a sign, and this is in, you know, 1995, and there'd be a sign, you know, that was faded and, and broken down in the woods, and it would be saying on the site you were looking at, you know, opening, you know, 1992 or something. You're like, what am I doing? Like, why am I looking? And it's still, it was profound because I still believed for some reason that we had seen a, a critical turning point in Turks. And it is a wonderful spot and it deserves to be where it is and it deserves to have attracted what is there. But it was a single sort of lane or like a two-way traffic highway going down the spine of the island. But, the, you know, we had some things that were, were looking like they would really be impetus. It's like the golf course that got put there by the Amir Qatar and those kinds of things that were big incubators that, that as a developer, they were profound to me to be there. But, you know, at the end of the day, one of the compliments, I, I, I coming over here, I had met an amazing Uber driver and we, we he overheard me on the phone, uh, you know, arranging to come to, to do this podcast. And when I got off, he asked and we got into the conversation of what I have done and what we have done. And, and what I thought was really profound was I told him about the award and what the hotels do. And he said, that says a lot about the people on your team. And, um, you know, I, I said, wow, it's so seldom people say that to me. They'll say, oh, congratulations to you. And, and I always have to correct them. Like, you know, you don't understand. This is not, this can't be one person. This is, you know, we see the buildings, but what we don't see as much is really what the true team is behind this. So, um, you know, I, I was just tickled when he did that. And I told him, I said, like, you know, you really got my conversation on this. And so that was a, a neat moment. So I sent him a note too. <laughs> That's so great. So, I love you're talking about your team and you obviously have a knack for what you're doing because now you have three successful hotels in truly what has become a global hotspot, Turks and Caicos. And you mentioned the team. I love how you mentioned your gut. You also said, you know, when you're making a decision, is this going to make me happier or not? You said something along mm -hmm. those lines, which, which I loved that. So you have a knack for success. What do you credit for your success aside from your team and these mantras that you do live by that seem to make a lot of sense? Yeah, I think, you know, everybody looks at things as if it was one big trade or there was that magic explosive moment. Don't get me wrong. There's turning points where where a lot of goodwill gets finally recognized and it gets, you know, rewarded numerically. 
but they generally don't work that way. I mean, it really is about every day. It's like sort of being one of those things that you use to get the hairs off of your your pet. You know, you keep rolling it and it just collects a little more all the time. And and that's the way your day needs to go. Like every day, if you go to bed and think I met one great person today, or I did something today that helped my reputation, or I did something that a customer will now tell another customer, that's how it builds up. It snowballs. It's not one magic lottery moment. And it's an attitude of, you know, if you're asked what's one of the most exciting moments in, you know, the career, ironically, it wouldn't be about opening buildings. It would be when I recognize that we probably have an unbelievable team member new on board, or we've really got a key person, or we, we see the team gelling. Those are the magic moments. I mean, I can put up a building and we can, you know, have a big party to do that. But that's not necessarily the magic turning moment. The moment is when you realize you've got another key team member that's really going to add to what you're doing. And then the buildings will find themselves. I mean, you know, you'll everything that you do has to speak to where you want to be. I mean, the Shore Club is an example. Yes. The one thing I will say was the dedication to quality there led to attracting some of the people we wanted. Every bit that you give of yourself in that way, if people know it's for where you want to head, it accumulates something positive. And it's that constant bucket of accumulation of positive things that you get to direct. You know, I don't get to run hotels today. I mean, the team knows 19,000 times more than I do. I get to direct energy. I get to direct an attitude and I get to help create DNA. And that's really what I get to do on a daily basis. I... I'm embarrassed when people actually credit me for running a hotel well. I help direct uh, the energy that does it. Would Stan, who arrived in Turks and Caicos in 1995, even believe where you are today and the team that you've created and clearly that positive energy and that DNA that you direct on a daily basis? Could you have imagined that you'd have the team that you do today or you'd be where you are? Well, I'm sadly about 45 days behind schedule. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, I, you know, in, in many ways it is a pinch me moment. I agree. I guess I believe we would develop, you know, properties and do things. But if you asked me if I would believe the amount of influence that we could have in the community and the amount of positive things that we could do, I probably would say that's the overwhelming joy of what we do. And, um, you know, our big decision now is do we expand into other areas? Do we continue to focus on Turks and Caicos? Do we, you know, we are being approached by a lot of other islands now that have seen our properties. And again, that'll be a team decision. That won't be a Stan Hartling decision. I mean, again, we direct energy. We direct positive thoughts. And if eventually they say we're ready to roll to the next spot and we think it's productive for us as a group. We also, you know, it's big for me and the team and and I'm almost the guy running around telling people they got to start taking vacations because I think the balance and the health of the team is very important too. It's great for us to say we want to do two more properties immediately or do this, but we have to make sure that we're doing it in a way that isn't going to completely make the next five years miserable for everybody on the team. If so, I feel like we've lost a little of our focus on why we're doing it. So I think for us now, it's making sure that if we do take more things on, we're doing it and aligning it with synergies that we have rather than, you know, doing things that are going to be five times more effort than they should be for us. I think that you know, we've got a lot of powerful knowledge, a lot of powerful energy, and we want to put that in the right spot. So we'll selectively choose something new. We're getting approached also by a lot of other investment groups that love what we have done. And 
I think, um, you know, we've said no a lot, but we're going to say yes to one and it'll be one that we think represents what the team will do best and, and we'll all be proud of in the next four or five years. You just talked about vacations and making sure that everyone is balanced and why we're all doing this. Who is Stan outside of Stan the Developer and the Palms Shore Club in the Sands? What do you like to do? I well, heard I rumors you. <laughs> that you're a, a really incredible race car driver. We do a lot of rally racing, and it's been infectious through the team. What um, is rally racing? So it, compared to track racing, uh, this is full-on uh, racing where they close public roads, and it's uh, a full-on, you know, get there as fast as you can a type of uh, rally, not one that some people think of as a what we call a time-distance rally, which is more about being accurate about when you get somewhere. And I, to me, no offense to anybody that's listening that does that, but it's just <laughs> it's not really where we are. And so we, we do full-on flat get there as fast as you can type rally racing. So a lot of people might be familiar with WRC, that kind of thing. We do very similar. Uh, we do it both in tarmac on the, and also on a gravel format. But our biggest focus and venue is down in Barbados, which they have an amazing, amazing rally uh, team down there, or rally club, I should say. And it's really become infectious through the company. And it's we're lucky. We're Again, this is one of these magic moment things where you realize that the key people on your team have this common love for the sport. So, you know, our vice president of uh, resort assets is great and he he races. Uh, we used to race together and we realized that maybe that wasn't the smartest thing to do. Uh, he would actually co-drive with me, but now he races his own his own car, my what two kind sons. What cars are you racing? Well, I race a, a couple of different various ones. I race a BMW M3, which is very highly modified in Barbados. So I run WRX cars, which is a Subaru for our gravel racing in Canada. Run a Lotus Exige, a supercharged Exige for uh, endurance racing, uh, long, like, you know, sort of like seven-day endurance racing. So it depends on what we're running. We use a different machine. But uh, generally now, I leave the cars wherever they are racing. So we don't try to transport them around. So if we're in, in Barbados, we leave the cars there. My son runs a factory-built uh, Citroen C2R2 Max, which is an amazing little factory-built rally car. So it's really exciting. And, and this year we had, I think, about 30 or 40 people come down, a lot of which were related to our team. We bring some team members down. And, uh, you know, it's amazing the spirit that we show down there as Team Turks and Caicos and uh, the response that we get to that. And I love that the, a lot of the Bayesians have really loved our, you know, love our spirit. We've been doing it now for about 10 years down there. And, you know, I love when I see a crowd of people and, you know, I'll see five or 10 of our Turks and Caicos, you know, rally shirts in there and, and see local people wearing them and they love, love to have them. So it's been a great thing for us. It's, it's amazing team building. It's amazing way to show another way to get some team support and do things. And the other way that we team build a lot too is charitable works. And I think a lot of companies don't realize, or maybe they do, but in a lot of cases for employees, especially ones that may not have the economic means to do donations, because, you know, they're really honestly, you know, for a lot of employees that are manual labor, especially in the Caribbean, it can be a struggle. But that doesn't mean that we all don't have a charitable heart and that we wish that maybe we had that $500 to give, or we wish that we could do that, but you can't. We see the charitable work as just an unbelievable way to not only give to the community, but to team build and to give the staff that may not have the ability to give pure monetary donations 
to join initiatives with us, and it's just fulfilling for them. It's an unbelievable way to let them go home and tell their kids, you know, what did mom do at work today? Well, I helped this school or I did this. You know, that can be an incredible way for anybody's company to uh, empower and make uh, not only the individual feel good, but make the team feel good. And, and you know, if so many people focus on, oh, what can I do to team build? What can I do to team build? And you think you can't team build with people that are maybe in sort of labor-based roles. That's just not true. This is an incredible way to team build. And um, it's not team building just among each other. It's team building vertically and horizontally because they end up respecting the people above them and the people below them. I love that. I've been hearing about these rally races for a long time now. I think I need to come to one. I think you need to come to one. <laughs> they're, they're really like a carnival. The, the Rally Barbados, and I mean, for anybody that has a remote interest, Rally Barbados is, is just a beautiful event. And to be honest with you, I think that uh, they have so much fun on the side of the road with uh, all their barbecues and music going and everything and uh, that they almost forget we go by. You know, we think, oh, they must have seen that. I almost darn near killed myself there. And they're like, oh, I forgot. I didn't see you go by. And you're like, <laughs> I was, having such <laughs> I a was good going time. so fast. What were you doing? <laughs> And they're like, we were having fun. So it is. It's really like a carnival atmosphere. And I, I can't say enough great about the people down there. So you're clearly not afraid to go fast. You're clearly not afraid to take risks, you know, showing up in Turks and Caicos, really following your gut. Is there anyone in your life that you credit or someone that has been a mentor to you or that you credit for a lot of this, you know, really great heart that you clearly have and energy, and you talk about the DNA, and you must have gotten it from somewhere. Yeah, I mean that's an, that's actually probably the harder question. I, and I, you know, I don't know that. I think that it's like anything. I don't think there's anybody that I want to replicate. I think you have to be your own recipe, and I think you pick it up from, like most things, ten or fifteen or twenty different ingredients. And and there's just people along the way. Most of the people that have shaped me, you know, wouldn't mean much to people that might be listening to this. And yet, I can guarantee if I describe that person to them, they say that they know somebody like that. But you know, it was just business people in my community and seeing people that, again, I think growing up, going back to being an only child, it, sometimes people don't think about that and and think. About about, you know, what is it like to be an only child and, and truly, and I'm saying it in a good way, but you I'm realize, an only child too. Yeah, yeah. And, and you sort of look for that sort of interaction. And I, I guess I always admired that. And I always admired people that could inspire people to do things. And and one of the things I, I learned very early when I was given some authority, and I mean, I, I worked full time while I went to university and I, I started as, a, as I told you, a line cook. But I realized very quickly, you can't shout at people and get them to do things. You might get away with it once or twice or whatever. But truly the magic to me was when I watched people that never had to push people to do things. And I realized that if you are just consistent about saying where you want to get with something, whether it's a project at work, whether it's a project you want to do, whether it's whatever, people may push against you. But if whatever you have to do to push back and say, okay, I'm sorry you're terminated or I'm sorry you're you know, this or that or whatever – if you're not doing it for your own personal ego, but you're doing it for the sake of the goal, it is so acceptable. And ironically, the rest of the team that's left after whatever residual hard decision you've had to make respect you. And if they don't, you know, there's a filtering process there that says, well, we're not on board with that goal. Well, 
then you find out who is on board with your goal or, or you amend it slightly. Maybe there's something unreasonable, but it all has to be about the goal, I think, in this kind of thing. It can't be about me. It can't be about the person trying to lead. It, that just doesn't work. You know, I, I love the saying, you know, you can't push a string, you can pull it. And that's people. I always admired that. So no matter where I seen it, I, I was in, in admiration of that. What did you say earlier about the happier comment? You you decide things on whether it's going to make you. I tried to articulate it yeah. earlier and I didn't say it right, but I really well, I, love that. Yeah, I call it my little acceptance meter. So I, you know, it's like you watch something. If you ever watched, I don't know, like a volt meter or anything where you put the power on and the meter goes one way and it goes the other way. And I, I do the same thing with decisions and I say, okay, I'm not doing it. And I watch what happens to my stomach and then I say, I'm doing it. And then I watch and I, if I have to play that 4,000 times in the middle of the night, I do it. And eventually you decide that the meter's going one way and, and never lie about that. If you, for some reason, keep saying, no, I don't feel good about doing it, but I'm going to do it. It just, for me, at least it's never worked. You have to go in with a whole You have whole to heart. go with it. And uh, yeah. And, and so, you know, don't be afraid to do that. And it's a great way to test because people, you know, oftentimes feel like I got to make this decision today. Well, you know, maybe you don't. Maybe you take three days, four days, five days, whatever you need. You know, anything you're committing time to for the next X amount of time or you're redirecting yourself, you got to do this to yourself. And it's a great way to test whether you're going to support it in your own mind. Maybe you're not even making the right decision, but if you verify that it's in your gut and it's in your, you know, what you want to do, you're going to be loyal to that. But if you're going into it half-hearted with dote, you're constantly going to act like you have dote and you can't take on anything, good opportunity or bad. You can take on a bad opportunity, turn it good with your own confidence that it's going to come out well. You can take a good opportunity and mess it up by not going into it, having that confidence. And I think that's, you know, pick the things that you're confident in. Don't pick the things that you're doubtful on because whether they're good or bad won't matter because if you're not executing it with confidence, it's not going to happen. I love this so much. I've known Stan for a long time, and I had no idea. I, I knew he was a wise guy, but I didn't know just how much wisdom you're filled with. So you mentioned maybe you'll go into other islands, maybe you won't. Where do you and the team, when you're sitting around and you're socializing different plans for the Heartland Group, what makes you really excited? What would you want to do if you could do anything? And five, ten years, we're sitting here. Where would you want to be? You know, I think if there was something dynamic that we felt uh, we could extract from what we do and and translate it, uh, I think in two things. I would like to see us certainly grow financially, but I, I think if we came up with something that was a hybrid that had a real cause to it, that would start to become a fulfilling project to me. Like if we found ways to maybe do something neat in a country that needed some assistance with something like schooling or whatever it may be. And we found a creative way to combine some growth in our company with some of the initiatives that, you know, and I, I'm just wildly picking out of my head, you know, you go to a, a neat area in Haiti and you you do something and and, and you, you not only create a, a sort of a neat product, but you integrate that with something that would be very cool in the community. I just sense that that kind of thing would mean a lot to our team if we could do that. And I think it would fit us very well. We very much are a team that absorbs that up. So those kinds of initiatives would be very interesting to me. I think ironically, at this juncture, the ones that mean the least to me are necessarily ones that are just driven by a spreadsheet. I think they have to be things that, you know, none of us are, are getting any younger. I don't see us 
hopefully none of us going anywhere in terms of our core team. So I, I look at things that maybe we would all love to sit around and enjoy getting on a plane and following up on. And so those kinds of things are important to me. If the younger generation coming in, like my boys and some of the stuff, want to take on the, the world and do some other things, that's great. I'll help guide them. But, you know, for me, those kinds of initiatives would be more fulfilling. I, I need something that I want to get up in the morning and I'm excited to get on the plane and go do. Well, thank you so much for getting on the plane and coming here yeah, with us. Awesome. And we're going tonight to celebrate Stan and his team and the big number one win. And, you know, you should feel really proud because you have created such a community in Turks and Caicos and people who really believe in you and your mission and what you've created. So thank you so thank much you. for being here. Honored to be here. All right. Thanks, Stan. Thank you.